This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Without divine intervention, it is over for America as we know it. Those are the words of Dr. Michael Brown, and we're going to take a look and inspect whether or not his statements are true. He said there's no turning back the clock. Without a fresh wave of revival in the church that will lead to a great awakening in our society, America is in terminal condition, he wrote. No strategy can heal us. No method can save us. Only God. Let me repeat that. America is in terminal condition. No strategy can heal us. No method can save us. Only God. He goes on to say, let's be realistic for a moment. We need to understand just how far we've fallen. There was a time when truth was considered absolute. Now, it's my truth or your truth. There was a time when moral standards were considered fixed. Now it's all relative. Even reality has become relative. Oh, friends, and that's not all. Today on Viewpoint, what you are about to hear is so troubling, should be so troubling to you, that it should cause you perhaps immediately to fall on your face. To fall on your face before God and say, Okay, Lord, it's me standing in the need of prayer. But the problem is it's not just you. It's the pastors. And that's what we're going to focus on here, primarily in the next segment or two of the program, and I'm glad that you've joined us. It's conversation, as always, with ever-increasing conviction talk that transforms. I'll never forget one extremely prominent extremely well-known pastor and spiritual leader, broadcaster and so on, endorsed my book, Renewing the Soul of America, along with 37 other national Christian leaders. His endorsement was profoundly strong. He said, in this book, Renewing the Soul of America, Chuck Chrismeyer tells us exactly what needs to happen and what we need to do. And then he said this as a caveat. He said, if we have the courage to implement it. Now, that was the key. If we have the courage to implement it. That particular leader, even though approached by at least a dozen other people from across the country, even from inside his organization, refused to interview me concerning that book. In addition to that, D. James Kennedy, remember Evangelism Explosion and all of that? He also refused to interview concerning that book, even though he gave a profoundly strong endorsement. What is it with these pastors and leaders? We're going to find out here today on Viewpoint or at least we're going to get a peek into the problem. 
Now, the purpose here is not to uh, deride pastors and not to destroy their names, but rather to look honestly at what is happening. Why would a leader, why would a pastor, who on the one hand says, this book provides the answers we need, this is provocative, it's profound for our country, if we have the courage to implement it. What is it that keeps us from the courage? Why is the courage lost? The famous philosopher Gady said, courage lost, all lost. And he's right. We have talked for years about the, having the courage of our convictions. But what does that mean? Courage of our convictions? Well, it means not only to speak about our convictions, but to act upon our convictions. So, as Edmund Burke once said, I can't do everything, but I can do something. What I can do, I should do, and by the grace of God, I will do. Except if I'm a pastor. It appears that that's the caveat. Except if I'm a broadcaster, a pastor, or have concerns that to say certain things on my program will cost me and my ministry at the bottom line. And that's where I have to draw the line. Hmm. Do you find Jesus drawing his lines anywhere around money? No. Do you find any of the apostles drawing their lines anywhere around money or big-box churchianity? In other words, got to grab as many people as possible to get them in the door so that we can report to the denominational headquarters what a huge income, what a huge uh, amount of money we received this past year, and all of those people, my goodness, I must be something great. There's the problem, isn't it? Pride. Pride is one of the biggest inhibitors to courage because we think too highly of ourselves. I hope as you listen to this program, you don't, you don't draw that kind of conclusion from yours truly here. It's not about me. If it were about me, we would bring on all kinds of different uh, commercial advertisers to give us more resources, more money to get the program out there on more stations and so on. But I know that if that is done, it will jeopardize and put at risk the freedom that I have before God to do his will, to speak his truth without compromise. And I can't go there. It's not about big box Christianity. It's not about how many listeners you have. It's about whether you're faithful to God's call and his truth. Now, something has happened. A report has come out and was published in the Christian Post. Here is the headline. Over a third of senior pastors believe 
good people can earn their way to heaven. A third, over a third of senior pastors in America claiming to be under God believe it's possible for good people to earn their own way. So why did Jesus need to come? There was no need for a Messiah. You can become your own Messiah. Just do more good works. That's what the Jewish people believe. Tikkun olam, redeem the world through good works. Is that what you believe? We're going to dip into an area here where, well, some just would not deign to go. They're afraid. But we need to do it. If we have any hope for our country, we'll be right back. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Before we go further into this amazing uh, study, research, concerning our pastors, our senior pastors in particular, I want to make available to you the book, Renewing the Soul of America. Renewing the Soul of America, one person at a time, beginning with you. The Republican Party is not going to renew the soul of America. The Democrat Party is not going to renew the soul of America, notwithstanding all of the pontificating and speeches that come before patriotic scenes there in Philadelphia. It's just not going to happen. Dr. Michael Brown is absolutely right when he says the only hope for America is a massive spiritual revival that has to start in God's house. We've been talking about that for years and years and years here on this program, if you've been listening that long. The message has been consistent, but we're having to up the ante because the danger zone has been reached, a severe danger zone that is so great that the Russian Times itself warned America that we are on the edge of civil war. And where do you think that would lead? I urge you to listen to yesterday's program concerning that. But today we focus specifically on this report. At least a third of senior pastors in the United States believe one can earn a place in heaven by simply being a good person. The findings were among several surprising responses as part of a survey conducted earlier this year by George Barna and the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. The American Worldview Inventory 2022 examined more than three dozen beliefs held by pastors. One-third or more of senior pastors surveyed also believe that the Holy Spirit is not a person, but rather just a symbol of God's power. Hmm. 
Others said that moral truth is subjective. That sexual relations between two unmarried people who love each other is morally acceptable. And that biblical teaching on abortion is ambiguous. These are the views of senior pastors, friends. One third or more believe these things. At least a third of those surveyed also said they believe socialism is preferable to capitalism. That allowing property ownership facilitates economic injustice. After data reported early this year found just 37% of Christian pastors have a biblical worldview, this report analyzed that research across all major U.S. denominations and found that a, quote, loss of biblical belief is prevalent among pastors in all denominational groupings, unquote. Yet, when I have over the years said, you know, we... we Pastors, we've just got to be careful. We're trustees of the truth. We're going to be held accountable more than any other person. People will come back to me and always say, but my pastor preaches the truth. But my pastor preaches the truth. I, I want to respond to that very simply. The question isn't whether your pastor preaches the truth. It's whether he preaches the whole truth. You see, that's the problem. The majority of pastors, even those who don't fall into these other very negative categories, will preach truth, but not the whole truth, because they don't want to run afoul of people's feelings. They would rather pander to the people than they would to preach the absolute certainty of God's word no matter what. That's the problem. And I could spend an hour going through the things that pastors will not preach about, will not talk about, or will preach things that cannot be affirmed in the Word of God, but have become popular religious notions that make people feel good and that overall suck them in or seduce them into spiritual lethargy. That's where we are. Now, if you would get a copy of the book, Renewing the Soul of America, what you will find is it's not a diatribe against pastors. It's not about pastors per se at all. There's a lot of talk about politicians. (coughs) But it's not about politicians. It's about people. It's about we, the people. Because you see, we are the ones that God is after. Not the politicians. Not even the pastors. Do you know that when Jesus spoke, in order to get out the truth of the ministry that God sent him to give as Messiah, he could not, for the most part, Go into the synagogues. They wouldn't have it. And when he did, they cast him out. In one instance, in Nazareth, they took him over a hill and they were going to throw him down a cliff. That's right. 
And the Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus was crucified because of the envy of the religious uh, rulers. Even Pontius Pilate saw through it all. It didn't take a Philadelphia lawyer to figure it out or a rocket scientist. It was so obvious. And did you know that that very same envy is what caused every one of the disciples to be seriously persecuted and killed? Envy. By the religious leaders. Did you know that that's also how the Apostle Paul met his end? So if you want to be honest, God didn't put a whole lot of confidence in the religious leaders. Just read the book of Jeremiah, particularly Jeremiah 23, but so many other places in Jeremiah, warning the prophets and the pastors, the priests and so on. Isaiah, the same thing. Ezekiel, the same thing over and over and over again. You see, from God's viewpoint, our pastors and parachurch leaders, uh, broadcasters and so on, authors, because of their more prominent role and the people trust them, they bear a much heavier burden. So on the Day of Judgment... I fear, if you're going to be a pastor, a true pastor, parachurch leader and so on, you better be operating in the fear of the Lord every day. Because if you're not, you're going to be seduced away from the truth of the gospel. And you are going to become an engine of seduction for everyone who's listening to you. And that's what's happening. And this poll is revealing that, but only in part. It's only revealing some aspects, but not all. But it found that a loss of biblical belief is prevalent among pastors in all denominational groupings. Even evangelical pastors, for example, around 43% said they do not believe that personal accumulation of wealth is provided by God for the individual to manage those resources for God's purposes. Yet the Bible specifically says so. It's amazing. The Bible specifically says so. Even to Abraham, God made a very clear statement. And God to the, to the Jewish people, the Hebrew people that were on their way to the promised land, Moses said, take heed, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when your silver and your gold is multiplied, and when your camels and your donkeys and all that, and your, whether you want to call them your Fords, your Mercedes, uh, whatever cars you you think of, multiplied, that you forget the Lord your God, for it is he that giveth you power to get wealth that he might fulfill his promise 
and covenant to Abraham and the fathers. It's very specific, and that's just one quote. The problem is not with the money. The problem is not with the assets. It's with the attitudes of the people that have them. I think perhaps one one good illustration is David Green and his family, the founders of Hobby Lobby. Oh, they became billionaires, yes. But what did they do and what have they put in place to govern themselves so that they and their family do not get caught up in the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, and a wrong view of money? Oh, they took serious steps to make sure that that wouldn't happen. I thank David Green for his seriousness in that regard. There are many people, we're not here to tout money. There are many people that God has given resources for a purpose. He's given us all things for a purpose, hasn't he? He's called you to the kingdom for a purpose. And every one of us has a little different purpose. How in the world can people who have nothing or who do not have an excess of what they need, how can they help others who are not in that position, which the Bible encourages them to do? You see, the whole thing is ridiculous. What these pastors are doing are being sucked in to the spirit of Marxism as a counterfeit salvation message. And because of that, I urge you, my dear friend, if you do not already have my brand new book, Messiah, I urge you to get a copy of it. Because when you read it, you are going to find that the very spirit of what we're talking about, the fallout of these reports concerning, yes, even Christian pastors, is setting the stage for receiving a false Messiah. That you can save yourself. That's the new message. You can be your own Messiah. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? So are you going to be the Prince of Peace too? Are you going to be the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of God's government uh, and peace? There will be no end upon your shoulders, both to establish it with judgment and justice from this time forth and even forevermore? Oh, well, I didn't think about that. But that's okay because I can save myself. And so this is why Franklin Graham came out and reacted to this pastoral survey and lambasted it as false teaching, leading people and churches astray. Leading people and churches astray. So here we have two books now. One encouraging you with regard to our country, with regard to embracing its divine purpose and calling. Renewing the Soul of America, $18, yours for $15. It's an $18 book, yours for $15 on the website, saveus.org.
Why, my friends, have so many people reported that when they read the first chapter, they broke down and wept? Why did they do that? There's a reason. And it was the last chapter written. Amazing. And then, of course, uh, Messiah. A $22 book, brand new, on the website, saveus.org. You can call us, 1-800-SAVE-USA. Write to us, Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. If you get more than one book, it's $5 for the first, $2 for each successive book. We'll be right back. Stay, stay tuned. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a for pastors only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. An astonishing number of Democrats believe that men can get pregnant. It's amazing. 22% of Democrats say they believe that men can get pregnant. Overall, few Americans think that men can get pregnant, but it's growing. 36% of core Democratic constituency, that's college-educated white Democratic women, and one of five Democrat voters believe this. Now, <clears throat> that being the case, and with pastors saying, I don't want to politicize my church, therefore, how will pastors handle that kind of issue? Most pastors will not talk about it. It was about five years ago, another study came out, and um, it concluded that 80% of uh, evangelical pastors, 80% of evangelical pastors believed in the basic moral principles of the Bible. They were against abortion, they were against the practice of homosexuality, and and those kinds of things. But then, another question was asked, when was the last time you talked about any of those issues to your people? To that response, only 20% said they did. In other words, they were scared spitless of their own flock. They would not talk. Now, they can say, well, I don't want to politicize 
No, friend, you've got it all wrong. If you want to politicize it, then start talking about Republicans and Democrats. If you want to talk about it from God's viewpoint, you talk about righteousness and unrighteousness. For righteousness alone exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. That's where pastors get confused. They cannot seem to discern the difference between spiritual righteousness and right standing in the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. They don't get it. They're not discerning. Every pastor in America should be willing to speak to their congregations openly, boldly, straightforwardly, from the authority of the Word of God, not from their opinion, and not making excuses to weaken what God's Word has to say, but just outright. And if somebody comes to you that, like they did to one pastor and said, you, I, I, I just disagree with you when you said uh, that whoever divorces their spouse causes them to commit adultery. The pastor said, I didn't say that. So he handed the woman the Bible. And there it was in the words of Jesus in red. And her response then was, oh. You see, the problem is we have been approaching all of these issues from a secular or culture war viewpoint. Friends, do you not realize yet that this is not primarily a culture war, but it's a spiritual war? The culture war is merely the symptom of the underlying spiritual war, which we refuse to talk about. We just don't want people to think that we're goody two-shoes and that we give too much emphasis to the authority of Scripture. So we're going to rationalize a cultural and reasonable response from our viewpoint. We've lost the authority of God and his word. We've lost the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord has been virtually abandoned from pulpit to pew in our country. And that's the reason why a pastor can come out and say that he believes that people can be good and get to heaven. Just be good. Another 39% of evangelical pastors said there is no absolute moral truth and that, quote, each individual must determine their own truth, unquote. Really? So you can determine whether it's good to murder or not murder, right? You can determine whether it would be a good thing under circumstances to rape or to not rape. Where do you draw the line? When God says he hates divorce, how much clearer can it get? Would you make excuses for that which God says he hates? In fact, God said that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. So, obviously, if you justify divorces and remarriages and so on, when God opposes them, you don't hate evil. Therefore, you are in disagreement with God. 
fundamentally, by definition. You may not be in uh, disagreement with your denomination. You may not be in disagreement with uh, your particular church, but you're in disagreement with God. Isn't that what really matters? 38% of these senior pastors refuse to answer the question if human life is sacred. Refused. Why? Because they didn't want to commit on the abortion issue. That's why. Why didn't they want to do that? Because they're afraid of the people. Where's the fear of the Lord? Gone. It's all about cultivating the good will of the majority of people. I will say what I have to say. I will cease saying what I shouldn't say in order to keep them coming, keep the monies flowing, and build the next building program. Most startling, 30% of evangelical pastors refuse to answer in the affirmative if their salvation is based on having confessed their sins, accepting Christ as their Savior. Well, of course they refuse to answer that because they've already concluded that you can be saved by doing good works, by being a good person. Or as the Jews would say, doing tikkun olam, redeeming the world through your mikvah good works. This is the latest report that's come from a nationwide study of about a 1,000 Christian pastors across several segments of churches and denominations and families. It was conducted between February and March of this year. Does it get your attention? For some, it will not because you've already been seduced. You've already bought into the lie. You've already bought into the spirit of deception and seduction. It's a spirit, friends. Now, I've talked to you about renewing the soul of America. I've talked to you about Messiah. And now, in this context, I'm going to talk to you about seduction of the saints. How to stay pure in a world of deception. How to stay pure in a world of deception. I can virtually guarantee you it's like no other book you have ever read concerning the issues of deception and so on. It deals with a vast array of areas in which we would not normally think about, which are the seedbeds of deception. And they come to us on little cat feet like the fog until they completely surround us and they have their grip. And now, as a country, we're virtually completely surrounded. And it's a terrifying situation. When you are in a pea soup fog and you cannot see what's ahead, That's what causes some of these huge, huge mega accidents, for instance, up and down 
uh, central California because they're prone to these massive uh, pea soup fogs. <coughs> I've been there. Know what it's like. good friend of mine almost lost her life in one of those. Now, at the same time, the Satanic Temple has announced its Satanic Convention in 2023 in one of... America's most famous political and patriotic cities, Boston, Massachusetts. The Satanic Temple going to have a Satanic Convention in Boston, Massachusetts next year. Oh, one of the big things they're going to be promoting is reproductive rights. In other words, abortion. Killing kids. Should that surprise you? Uh, I wouldn't think so. In fact, the number one thing on their agenda is abortion access. Satan came, Jesus said he comes forth to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So the Satanic Temple, right there in Boston, Massachusetts, next year. But here's the problem, friends. We have already been in the process of converting our evangelical churches into Satanic Temples and don't even realize it. Just don't even realize it. How do we convert our churches into Satanic Temples? By doing the same thing that Satan did with Eve and Adam in the garden. Questioning whether God has said and why he said it. That's how you do it. That is how Satan seduces. And that's how he's going to bring in the Antichrist. Will you recognize him? Maybe not. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by his spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today we're dealing with the seduction, deception that's taking place in God's house. We know the seduction and deception that's taking place out there in the broader world. Jesus said those folk are condemned already because they believe not. So the focus of God and his word 
has been to those who claim to be true believers, whether Jew or Gentile. God's warmest audience, but God's warmest audience is becoming very chilly. And that's why the seven the, the seventh of the seven letters to the church, churches of Asia, the church to Laodicea, gets such attention. God says, I know your works. Yeah. But you're you are in such a condition that you have almost no relationship whatsoever to my expectations for my people. You're rich and seemingly have need of nothing, but you're poor and wretched and naked in my viewpoint. And he's talking about spiritually poor wretched, and naked. You're not talking about how much money you have or what kind of house you have or what kind of car you drive. He's talking about our spiritual condition. And the last one of those churches is called the church at Laodicea. He said, your faith, your spirituality is so sickening that I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. That's what God said. Hmm. That's pretty dramatic talk. And that's an end time church. And he said, I'm standing at the door and knocking. If any man, if anyone hear my voice. I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. That is not an evangelistic verse, friends. It has been wrongly used as an evangelistic verse. No, it is a cry from God the Father to professing Christians. If any man will hear my voice, is there anybody in there that really loves me? Is there anybody in there that will obey me? Mm-hmm. So you can see very quickly why the warnings, all the warnings from Jesus and John and Paul and Peter, Paul, all of those, no, not from Mary, it wasn't Peter, Paul, and Mary, but John and Paul and Mary uh, and uh, Peter. And uh, so those all warned about the deception that was coming upon the earth. The number one characteristic of our time. Do you see it? Oh, you can see it when you find out that, what was it, 30% of uh, Democrat young people believe that men can get pregnant. Totally contrary to science, by the way. Of course, we don't pay attention to science when it interferes with the deception that we've chosen to embrace. Right? Now, if we substitute the word science for God's viewpoint or authority or word, we can go back to Genesis chapter 2 and 3, and we find that no sooner has God performed the first marriage, Adam and Eve, 
than the serpent. See, he had to attack them as a pair. That's why marriage, you see, is the smallest microcosm of the church. A husband, a wife, and the Holy Spirit. Three in one. Or at least in that manifestation. And so Satan came in that situation, and he said, asked the historic question of three words. Hath God said? Hath God said? And how did Eve respond? Well, she admitted what God had said. But then Satan put a spin on it. He tried to give a rationale for why God said it. And God didn't tell him why. He just said, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. But Lucifer, Satan, put a spin on what God said. He said, well, the reason God said that is because he knows that in the day you eat of it, you're going to be just like him. You're going to know good and evil. Oh, I'm going to be like God? I'm going to be basically equal with God? Oh, isn't that cool? Well, Satan was just doing to Eve exactly what he did to God. I will ascend to the heights of the north. I will be like the Most High God. That was his lust for power. So the only way that he could gain dominion in the earth is through humankind because God had given dominion to Adam and Eve in the earth. So he had to do this end run to deceive God's man in the earth. And when Adam bought into Eve's plea based upon her emotions, her eyesight, she saw the fruit that it was appeared to be good to eat, so she played upon Adam. You know, if you really love me, uh, you'll, you'll eat of this. This looks like pretty good stuff. And this, this uh, Lucifer over here, Satan says, we'll be like God. Oh, okay. So they ate of it, and then immediately something happened internally, and they realized, oh, yes, they did know good and evil now, that God had never intended for them to know. All he wanted them to do was follow him in loving obedience, that they said no. I think Frank Sinatra was in the garden, and he's saying, I'll do it my way. So that's what they did. And the rest is history. And now, increasingly, in God's own house among evangelical Christians, we're saying exactly the same thing. I'll do it my way. And when a third or more of the pastors are saying that, Where is the hope for the people that are trusting them? 
That, my friends, is one of the primary reasons we are on the air. To leap over the walls that have been erected by pastors and parachurch leaders across the country to keep out the fullness of the truth. There I said it. It is almost impossible to get this message inside even the, the seemingly strongest churches in America. Just don't want it. Don't upset my apple cart. Well, friends, if we really want revival that Michael Brown says we must have or we're going to terminate, we're going to be terminated as a country. We think, oh, well, it's okay. Oh, well, it just happened to my kids or my grandkids. won't happen to me. After all, I'm me. Hmm? That's why we call it the me, me, me generation. Now, let me give you an illustration outside America We could probably spend an hour on this, but we're not going to. We're going to spend just a few minutes. It came from Israel National News today. It's called Circumcision, Is It Justified? In Judaism, it is a religious requirement based on a divine command. This is my covenant, which you shall keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. Right there in the Genesis chapter 17. But the ebb and flow of medical opinion is not the criteria by which Jewish parents decide whether to have their son circumcised. Oh, in other words, doctors are superimposing their ideas, their thoughts, their viewpoints upon what God said. Mm Mm-hmm. And one circumcision went bad in Israel and was reported on. And I suspect that that's why this article came out. As a metaphor, circumcision has been part of the Jewish vocabulary from biblical times. To have an uncircumcised heart or uncircumcised lips was taken to mean that a person was coarse, unrefined, and undisciplined. In other words, was ungodly. Now, here's the issue. And it would be interesting to go through this entire article, which is fairly lengthy, but we're not going to. God made a covenant with Abraham, and he told him that he and his kids, male kids, would have to be circumcised. It would be the sign of the covenant, his covenant with his people. So circumcision is the abiding symbol of the consecration of the children of Abraham to the God of Abraham. As the sacred rite of the covenant, it is of fundamental importance for the religious existence of Israel. Many died to protect that. Now, the problem is that modern man modern science is second-guessing what God said. 
and now saying what God said to do on the eighth day after birth, circumcising your male children, is abuse and causes terrible pain and suffering and this, that, or the other. The reality is there is no evidence that it causes terrible pain for somebody at eight days. 80 years, yes. Maybe eight years, but not eight days. Secondly, God had a reason to roll back the flesh. It was both a fleshly reason and a spiritual reason so that the act and action of circumcision in obedience actually was reflected in the spiritual attitude of rolling away the flesh from your life and walking in purity and in holiness. Now, so you say, are you saying that all Gentile young children should be circumcised? First of all, this was a sign to Israel. What I will say is, by implication, because you cannot gain your salvation by circumcision. Never could. Therefore, it was a spiritual practice, a symbol of something more profound. Friends, we have got to roll away the flesh from our lives. Sin, and you know what the most profound revelation of that is? I'll do it my way. Choosing our own viewpoint over God's. God calls it evil. What do you call it? Thanks for joining us here on Viewpoint today. Make sure you get a copy of Seduction of the Saints. Uh, it's on our website. And to become a partner, send your gifts by faith, friends, to Save America Ministries. We're in deep trouble, whether you realize it or not. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.